today on Foodstuffs. What is it? When you're young, you hate the taste of alcohol, but love to getting drunk. And then when you're older, you love the taste of alcohol, but hate getting drunk. We head to the brewery to learn how craft brewers are now brewing for flavor, while also keeping the percentage low. Whereas in these bigger beers, there's kind of there's lots of places to hide behind, you know, a huge body or a huge bitterness or a huge aroma of something. Mm-hmm. And so in lower alcohol beers, your, your flaws really, sh- really uh, shine. They're kind of in the spotlight. I'm Matt Park. I'm one of the owners at Burdock, as well as the brewery director. And you're listening to Foodstuffs. Perfect! Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and culture and their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker and I'm Brian Goman. Happy 40th episode. Woo. Happy 40th and happy birthday <laughs> to you too. Is it really your birthday? <laughs> yeah. Well, th- look at that. We got a beautiful day out here to celebrate too. Yes. No, it's a stunner. I can't Toronto, believe. Toronto, if you're not from here, Toronto Wednesday what are we, May 17th, it's going to hit 30 today, yeah, or it feels like nuts. 30. We're pretty excited here. Exactly. From what I understand, same on the East Coast, so blessings well, all there around. You go. All mm-hmm. around. Yes, lots of reasons to celebrate today, I think. It can't be beat, and it relates to the topic today, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Cheersing on a Wednesday. So when thinking about the ideal beverage of choice for an occasion like this, what could possibly be tastier than a delicious, crushable beer? Yeah, particularly one that won't, like, knock your socks off and feel the pain <laughs> off the walls, too, right? Yes, I think so. Um, so, let's get into it. Um, it's been just over two years now that a brewery and venue opened up on Bloor Street West here in Toronto. It goes by the name of Burdock Brewery. Um, Toronto, at that point, already had some very well-established go-to craft breweries, But Burdock came out early championing some beers that were kind of newer on the craft beer scene at that moment in time. Think less IPAs and stouts and more kind of low alcohol classic styles of different origins. Okay, so I'm going to assume you're going to get more into that in your chat, right? Yeah, although the focus of the talk today is kind of about what tools the team at Burdock has in their arsenal when you opt to brew for lighter styles. So we will talk and mention about some of the styles that they tend to favor, but really we're getting into kind of the nuts and bolts of how you do something like that. Okay, cool. So let's take a listen. This is part owner of Burdock Brewery and the Brewery Operations Director, Matt Park, speaking with Jessica. I think from the get-go we wanted to brew things that were approachable um, and things that were, um, you know, things that are really, really things that are balanced. I know approachable can be like a derogatory term. <laughs> My brother always, you know, like if he's, if he's like pretending to be uh, pompous drinking wine, he'll be like, oh yeah, this wine is really approachable. Just to put you down or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, not, not in direct reference to me. I think he thinks it's just like a generally derogatory thing to say about a like beverage. A little snide or something. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, we wanted we wanted to make things that are drinkable that that you know you want to drink from you know when your glass is full to when your glass is empty and come back to and drink again. Um, you know there 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 is like a bit of a 
a stereotype of craft beer being, you know, undrinkable or like one note flavors that are over the top. And, and, um, there is some of that out there, but there's a lot of really amazing craft beer that's, that's really drinkable and, and tasty and you want to drink many of, and that's kind of what we want to be doing. Something crushable. Something crushable. Yeah. We, (laughs) we, we definitely specialize in crushability. There you go. That's a pretty good modus operandi. Um, so is there certain styles that you favor, would you say? Um, there are. We generally focus kind of broadly in like three-ish categories. Of, of We make a lot of pale ales, like American-style pale ales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make a lot of saisons, um, like Belgian-inspired beers, and also now more recently doing quite a bit of, of kind of lower ABV sours. It's been attributed to your brewery that you guys have a bit of a, a love affair with yeast. I think it's true of a lot of brewers, especially like the contemporary, like modern modern craft brewers are very yeast um, yeast centric, and the best breweries, in my opinion, in the world are very very yeast centric. Um, we we ourselves are very yeast centric. We spend a lot of time thinking about yeast. We're all um, our whole brew team has biology backgrounds or has kind of experience working in biology um we have a little laboratory that we (laughs) test and propagate yeast in um but yeah yeast is is an amazing unicellular organism it's (laughs) responsible for you know 70 percent i'd say upwards of 70 to 100 percent of the flavor in most beers Mm -hmm. um if a beer tastes good it's generally because the yeast has done something right uh, or the yeast has been treated well or or the right yeast has been used for the right job. How many different jobs can yeast have? Oh, so many jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, there's thousands of different kinds of yeast, um, of, of domesticated brewer's yeast, and then there's there's all these wild yeasts that people are getting their hands on now. Um, you know, pretty soon there's probably going to be genetically modified yeast being used brewing, but right now it's all kind of just these domesticated strains um, that can produce flavors, you know, from from clove to banana to bubblegum to horse to pineapple to mm-hmm. guava to, you know, spearmint. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that last one. I might have made that up. <laughs> GMO, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah, on the horizon for yeah, sure. There you go. So with regard to, you talked about it being 70 plus percent of flavor in beer comes from the yeast itself. So um, how does the yeast then, because... I have a question around the flavor as related to the alcohol. In craft beer, I think a lot of people associate IPAs and like hit yourself over the head, crazy high percentage alcohol IPAs um, with the craft brewing movement. And that has probably chilled out in the last few years, particularly in Toronto. I think it's probably beyond that now. Um, And things are moving pretty quickly. But uh, is there a direct correlation to yeast flavor and therefore alcohol in the mix like or are those two things mutually exclusive no they're not they're not mutually exclusive um yeah the amount of alcohol in a beer is basically determined by how much grain you use and how much water you use Mm -hmm. um so you 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 when you make a recipe you kind of usually you have an idea of what kind of alcohol percentage you want to make in your beer um so say you want to make a 4% 4% beer or a 10% beer, you'd then add more or less grain to your recipe. 
given your volume of beer you're making. Which is acting as sugar. Yeah, it's acting as your sugar. That's where you get the sugar, which is then fermented into alcohol. So that's kind of the limiting agent of alcohol production. There's also other kinds of alcohols in beer other than just ethanol, which is, you know, what what we measure Mm -hmm. um, usually when you're giving like an alcohol by volume reading on a beer, but there's also these other alcohols that are, that are kind of more flavor, flavor compounds that are a big part of, of, um, like the aromas and flavors in beer. But, um, yeah, yeast, yeast flavors are more strain dependent and, um, and kind of how, what kind of environment you give them will they'll produce different different kinds of flavors depending on how hot you ferment the beer or how much how much yeast you put in or um, how much if you give it certain nutrients or if you you know co-ferment different strains of yeast together you can create all sorts of different kinds of flavors just like how you raise your baby exactly yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's very much like like rearing rearing little unicellular children Aww. Um, so you can tell that I am excited by the prospect of, uh, lower alcohol beers. And I felt like I was yelling into a void for a long time. No one was really on my side because I, I don't know. It's not obvious. I'm learning a lot right now in this conversation with you about how the processing works. And so I think that people who really favored craft beer and, you know, there's the local element of it. There's the cachet of it. There's all these pieces that make it an attractive thing for a young person to prefer to drink over something like Budweiser or Bud Light or whatever. But yeah, like, is there still a a huge rainbow of flavor opportunities that, you know, are available in something like a Saison, something like a Sour, um, that, you know, wouldn't be available in like those crazy IPAs or something like that. Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think by any means you're conceding, and and you know we're we're here for you trying to <laughs> trying to create those flavors on the on the low octane scale. Um, yeah, making really flavorful things in a low alcohol environment is actually quite challenging um, because alcohol itself is um, it 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 dissolves flavors um it's 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 like you know when you want to make a tincture of something you dissolve it in alcohol um and so alcohol is a really good agent of flavor um so when you don't have a lot of it you've got to got to get creative um and lower alcohol beers generally also have it's hard to kind of get um to get enough body to balance out uh, a lot of flavor if you're going to have it in there. Whereas in these bigger beers, there's kind of, there's lots of places to hide behind, you know, a huge body or a huge bitterness or a huge aroma of something. Mm-hmm. And so in lower alcohol beers, your, your flaws really, sh- really, uh, shine. They're kind of in the spotlight. Um, so to make a really good low alcohol beer is actually quite difficult. Um, and there's lots so of- I'm like drinking the champagne of beers totally. is what you're telling me. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there still are some flavors that, you know, you probably would never achieve in a, in a 2% table beer right. as you would into like, you know, a 10% imperial cognac saison. But mm-hmm. for me, I'm, you know, I just advocate drinking those in smaller amounts. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of breweries that are, are kind of breaking new ground and making really balanced lower alcohol beers like. The, one of the beers that really inspired me early on was that Stay Classy beer from Bellwoods, mm-hmm. which is like an amazing example of a, of a pale ale that's, I think it's, you know, 2.9% and drinks like, you know, a 6% pale ale. It's so hoppy, so citrusy, so aromatic. Um, 
Yeah, it's such an amazing beer. And I think as the, the what's the word? Like not the usership or like the, the following of craft beer. As more people kind of enter into the, into the craft beer sphere, mm-hmm. um, you kind of get a broader spectrum of tastes that people want. And I think a lot of people out there want to drink lower alcohol beers that are really tasty. Um, we just made a really nice American Session Ale that's, I think, three point something percent that I think is the best one we've made yet so far, so you should try it. That sounds amazing. And I think it's just, yeah, it's just, you know, the, the way the market has developed is that there's, these bit, there's been these, um, these big, bigger craft breweries kind of grown throughout the U.S. that have made these their, their name by making these pretty crazy beers like Dogfish Head and and I don't know Russian River and uh, now Brewdog coming from overseas are like known for making these really over the top super flavorful beers um, and I think those have kind of been in the spotlight and it, yeah I wouldn't say that it's like detracted from all the other breweries doing interesting things it's just kind of taken taken the limelight mm-hmm. um, and now there's this second wave of breweries coming in that are that are just doing different things that are inspired by different things that have different backgrounds, um, that are interested in different flavors. Um, and it's kind of an amazing time to be a beverage maker. Um, yeah, for us, you know, we're, 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 we get most of our inspiration from other fields of, of beverage making like wine and sake and coffee and, and mead and cider. Um, yeah. Can you give more examples of like how, yeah, pick one and talk about your relationship with those, uh, industries? Yeah. Like wine is definitely the most, we have the strongest connection to, um, we, I probably drink more wine than I do beer. Um, I just, I think there's something in wine that is, is almost unattainable in beer. There's this, like this, complexity this you know it is a bigger beverage it's 13 percent um but you can have 13 percent wines that are very crushable um there's yeah there's 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 like a mineral component that is really hard to achieve with barley um and that's something we we, we're basically trying to make wine with barley every day when Mm -hmm. we wake up it's really hard um but yeah, we've 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 forged our, our biggest relationship in the world of wine is with Pearl Morissette, this winery in in Niagara, um, who make really fantastic wines, and they kind of introduced us into the world of wine and what's possible. Um, and we've learned a lot about beer making through just kind of talking about wine and how it's made and the parallels and differences, and how, you know just how we both talk about fermentation and yeast is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of really makes it. It really made me just kind of like stop and be like, "Whoa, okay, wait a second. Like these guys are talking about this like this, and I've been thinking about it like this for so long. You know, what else am I not thinking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and who else can I talk to and have my my yeast world flipped upside down? <laughs> um, yeah." My next question after that was going to be, what are you excited about? But that sounds like part of it. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I think we're, yeah, we're just kind of continuing to look at how we can, you know, cross collaborate with different, different beverage makers and different fields, um, in cider, in mead, and particularly in wine, continuing to work with Pro Morissette. We've got a bunch of projects on the go with them, um, and 
yeah, I just, I, I just can't wait to drink them. Um, the ones that we've got in, in the works now are all tasting so well. Um, and you know, I really like when, when you've got something it's in the process of being made, that's tasting really good. It's hard to think about anything else. It's hard to want to drink anything else <laughs> other than that one thing. And so, um, yeah, I think that that world of, of beer, wine, hybrids is um, is kind of like a niche new field that we're, we're really kind of swimming in right now. Um, and we're finding some of our biggest success in. And we're, yeah, we're just kind of continuing to pursue that like full steam ahead and trying to do more of it and doing lots of trials and experiments and trying to learn as much through the process of making these beers as we can. And so when we make a beer like Bumo, which is this, this blend of barrel aged beer and wine that we made, um, we, we make, you know, 40 small trials as well and do things differently. You know, we'll make the big batch and do choose one way to do it, but we'll also do like 40 different experiments and see, you know, just try different things, try different Mm -hmm. yeast strains, try conditioning it differently. Um, just so we can get as much data as we can because it's such a kind of new area. Yeah. So super scientific. We we try to get, we try to get scientific up, up in it, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) as much as we can. Um, because yeah, really, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we don't identify as like master brewers, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're more scientists, um, just trying to get data, trying to learn, um, trying to uncover new things, um, whenever we can. Observe all the different points in the process. Totally. Yeah. We're just, we're, we're, we're curious about the power of yeast and, and, and what can be done with it and what it can do and what we can learn from it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, for someone that is hasn't found craft beer that they care about yet, what would you encourage? Like, how do you how do you get excited about it? I, mean, I would just say to Google Google search the closest craft brewery to you and just go and check out their tap room and talk to somebody there. But yeah, I think you know, in five to ten years, there'll be a craft brewery and. Every, if there isn't one already, there'll be a craft brewery in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the, the, trajectory, the trajectory that the industry is on right now is incredible. You know, there's so many breweries opening in Toronto, and there's so many good breweries opening in, in Ontario all the time. Um, and, yeah, it's just I think the brewing industry in Ontario is, is young, but it's, 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 it's kind of improving and getting to a really high caliber level very quickly. And I, I, I don't think it's, it's fully recognized within Ontario how good a lot of the beers that are coming out of the province are right now. You know, I think a lot of people look to the U.S. as the, as the mecca of, of craft beer, and that's where, you know, if, if, if it's not from the U.S., it's not, you know, not notable or not worth getting excited about. Um, but there's so much, so much good beer coming out of Ontario. Um, that we really have a lot to get excited about and a lot to be proud of. And, and I hope that people, um, you know, really can just like get behind Ontario craft breweries, um, because there there are so many good ones. Awesome. Um, anything else that we should talk about? It's, it's nice to be able to, to enjoy beers with an S Yes. and, and not fall asleep. There you Uh, go. 
to like be, I think, I think session, like crushable beers, I think enable people to enjoy their lives more, um, more thoroughly and for, for a longer period of each day. For sure. Up until like 200 years ago, no one trusted water and everyone was drinking ale all the time. Exactly. Just imagine the world, including children. I don't condone drinking amongst minors, but Everyone with a slight buzz all the time. Totally. That's, you know, that's, that's utopia. <laughs> it's bliss. Yes. There you go. Thank you, Matt. Okay, that was just speaking with Matt Park, the part owner and brewery operations director at Burdock Brewery. Well, microbrews and craft beers, like this is another sort of segment of food that's really you'd say like nerding out, you know, similar to we <laughs> talked like coffee and sake and, and a lot of things that there's a lot of places you can go and it, you know, comes from a place of just loving it, but there's a lot of science. There's uh, so much, uh, so much to this really. Actually. Yeah. It was so funny for me to have him bring up like all the different influences that he has coming from the world of sake, coming from the world of wine, coming from the world of coffee, all of these beverages, mead, etc. Because I would have, I think that's where my mind was already going. And so he like beat me to the punch by bringing it up himself. Um, but yeah, it's like this moment in history, we have come to appreciate, there's clearly a long tradition of these things at this moment in time. And so now we're at the point with technology and maybe labor, there's more of an opportunity for specialization um, in the labor market at this moment in time that we can kind of spend our efforts putting money into the science behind, in this case, what different yeasts um, and brewing processes do to the beverage at the end of it. But in coffee, it would be the roasting process. Um, yeah, there's so much to learn. And we still have to do a good juicy wine chat, which, you know, I'll get to if you let me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're just moving your way around these <laughs> beverages. I like drinking things. Yes. What can I say? <laughs> so that's all the, the obvious like parallels that we can be making right now. But then um, in the last few weeks, there was an article that came out in the National Post, um, and I feel like it could have easily been missed if you weren't attuned to the world of beer. Um, but a woman by the name of Claudia McNeely wrote a piece um, kind of championing the right for the masses or the reason that the masses would be um, interested in drinking Budweiser and, and beers like that. Um, in all honesty, I felt like she wrote that on a quick deadline and <laughs> didn't have too many strong feelings about it, but that she might be like kind of tongue in cheek a little bit about it because it does, this is an industry that has taken itself so seriously for so long. And so I didn't think much of the article itself, but the reason that I came back to it was because there was actually someone posting about um, a blog post that was a response to her. And my God, I think that this so bear with me here. I know that it seems like I'm off track, but um, the thing that was the salient piece for me was that I have for a long time really valued delicate, lighter, crushable beers because I find them the most refreshing. And there's been people who have sort of fought me on it at various points where they're just like, this isn't an objectively good beer. Um, and I'm not asking for it to be objectively good. I'm saying, do I like it or do I not like it? Because there, and this is the point that ties into the Claudia McNeely piece, which was just saying that someone who wants to drink a light, 
beer and not be smashed so quickly is not not getting the point of craft beer. They just have their own reasons for wanting to drink. And so for you to tell me what I taste and what I don't taste and what I like and what I don't like is not the point. Um, And the point is there's room for all of these different styles and there's a customer for all of these different styles. So um, these smaller craft breweries are going to benefit from the exponential growth of Matt was saying that if it's not already happened in your neighborhood, neighborhoods across the country soon enough are all going to have their own microbreweries. So as these things keep growing and the value and the knowledge, because so much of it is knowledge, right? And knowing what you like and knowing what to ask for, as this all grows, then there's going to be a place for the 15.5% Russian Imperial Stout that I saw on a menu last week. And then there's also going to be a room for someone like me who is in the mood for a 4%, 5% beer. All this to say, her article just made me feel like there is a bit of a gendered thing, only in that there was a blog post response that kind of like really took took her to task. But the tone of that response was the most patronizing thing I have ever read. And it brought back the idea of this gatekeeping kind of mentality, which I think is counterproductive to an industry that, again, could really use eyes on it curiosity about it yeah it is interesting and like you say that movement seemed to go immediately towards the higher percentage alcohol now we know there's a bit of a reason for it because that's easier to get that that flavor out of Mm -hmm. there right um and i think perhaps to an extent there's probably um some marketability towards that where it's oh it's something new like hey this is a really strong beer like that's a way to sort of market it as as something different not just like uh, it's a lo- it's a local beer but it's another thing where this is another way we're we're different but um yeah i mean to each their own beer right and <laughs> you know it, it's also even a i think heavily um a an occasion thing right depending on yeah. the occasion there are times when i like a lot of interesting complex flavors in a beer and there's sometimes where yeah you do want something very light i mean the perfect example i play in adult uh hockey uh league i play in mm-hmm. an adult hockey league and the adult hockey in canada if you're not aware it's known as beer league because usually some, right. somebody shows up with beer or everybody puts a couple cans in their their bag and you have a beer in the dressing room or the parking lot uh after and that's just part of it and it's a huge it's funny because over the years, it used to always be that you would only see Coors Light or Bud Light or something like that because you want a light beer. And again, like you say, those marketing budgets of these big, big companies have it so that that's going to be on the top of your mind always. And you see exactly. the imagery and you think, yeah, it's after easy. a hockey game, I have a Bud or I have a Coors Light. And it fits the occasion because you don't want a lot of complex flavor after you've just come off the ice. <laughs> you basically want exactly. water, really, right? But it's funny because in the last couple of years, I've noticed that you see more guys showing up with light tasting microbrew beers uh, in their bags, right? So that's been sort of an interesting development, whether they've gone to the beer store or the LCBO, uh, and they've picked out a couple of cans and... I'm going to throw this in the the bag instead of uh, buying 
uh, Coors Light or, or Bud or something like that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that's something I've I've uh, I've witnessed, right? Too. Yes, a beer for every occasion, isn't that right? Well, I think that we deserve some beers, Brian. So let's uh, let's do this thing. All right, hit the music. <laughs> And that's it for another season of Foodstuffs. Can you believe it? Um, thanks this week go to Matt Park from Burdock Brewery, located at Bloor, uh, just a little bit west of Dufferin. If you're in the area, it really is a special place. Nice place to sit and have an afternoon summery beer. Perhaps that's what's in the cards for this afternoon. As always, we'd love to thank Eric Betlam and Ken Stower of CIUT. Thank you so much for your support, as always, for season four of Foodstuffs. So this is episode 40 of Foodstuffs, and it is, as we said, the final episode of season four. And honestly, we're having a blast doing the show. Uh, It's so much fun to talk about food and everything that is connected to it, as we've learned, is everything. Uh, We're getting to talk to some interesting people and learn a lot and hopefully share a lot of perspectives that uh, we think you as an audience find interesting. We like this show. We think it's a good show. We want to keep it going. But we need your help. If we're going to keep foodstuffs going, we need to be able to monetize. That would allow us to pay ourselves, to pay other people to help us continue to grow this show. And that means approaching sponsors. And approaching a sponsor means that we need to be able to talk about you guys, our audience. Who are you? What are you interested in? What do you like? What do you open your wallet for? So we went ahead and created a Foodstuffs listener survey to help us gather info. If you want to help us keep the show alive, we would love that. You can go to our Facebook page and you'll find our listener survey there. Um, Please fill it out. We will have it pinned to the top of our Facebook page over the break Um, and if you don't already follow us on Facebook just give us a search under foodstuffs and give us a like while you're at it why not that's all so please (laughs) help us keep this thing going because we're having fun you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at foodstuffs life as well as as I just said on Facebook by searching foodstuffs subscribe to us on iTunes Stitcher Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts so we're taking a well-deserved break right Brian sure (laughs) but you will not stop seeing us on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Um, Be in touch. Let us know if you heard something cool, have read a cool article, think we should check something out. We love hearing from you. We'll be back shortly for season five. All charged up and ready to go. And that's a wrap on season four. We will see you so soon for season five. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.